0: Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashwin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and this week we're going to be talking about the 2015 film The Visit, written, co-produced, and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, and starring Olivia DeJong, Ed Oxenbold, Diana Denagun, and Catherine Hahn. In this film, a pair of siblings go to visit their grandparents for the first time, but things take an unexpected turn for the worse. But uh, before we dive into uh, the plot, we're gonna spend the first half of the show or the top half uh, talking about the background of the film, uh, and then we'll take a quick break where we hear some music. Then we'll dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Brian. I'm kind of shocked and embarrassed that this is the first M. Night Shyamalan film that we're covering in like the four years we've been doing this podcast.
1: Uh, Can you believe that and any reasons why you think that's true? That is pretty surprising. I don't have any good excuses for us other than I think sometimes we tend to think of his movies as thrillers, but I think some of them fit horror for sure. So I have no excuse. Oh, okay.
0: I was wondering which argument you're going to take. See, you, you think it's a genre, a question of genre, and that his films
1: might not like, like, he isn't necessarily like a horror director. I think maybe he, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying I think public perception is maybe he's like a thriller type guy. Yeah. Even The Sixth Sense, I don't think some people think of as a horror movie, mm-hmm. but I think that's fair. I think it's a horror movie. I think so. I mean, compared to like some of the
0: other films uh, that we've seen in horror, I kind of feel like it is, and a lot of themes about uh, ghosts and stuff. I, I feel like should qualify. Um, he, he's definitely done like a few that are clearly outside of horror, but yeah, I, I feel like the majority of his films like fall pretty squarely in there, and he leverages scares throughout all of them.
1: Um, how many of his films have you seen? um man you know not as many as i should have i've seen the sixth sense unbreakable signs and this and i think that's it oh Oh, okay yeah yeah that's it i've only seen four of his movies got it uh unbreakable like you would agree isn't horror at all right no no
0: not at all i enjoyed that though me too you know i I think that's like one of my favorite superhero movies still like that, that was such a great film great acting um, and it's interesting you saw of Total Science because I, I feel like a lot of the discussion will say Signs was like his last great movie before he dropped off. But some people give it to The Village as well. Uh, I, I, I don't know. What,
1: what have you heard? I never quite understood whether public perception of The Village was that it was a good movie or a bad movie. And yeah. his Rotten Tomatoes, both critics and user scores, are kind of all over the map. So it's hard to judge yeah. from those. It is. Um, I think he bottoms
0: out though, like after the village with like Lady in the Water, the Happening, Last Airbender, and After Earth. Like that was just a string of like four terrible movies, right?
1: Yeah, those all have bad reviews from critics and users. Lady in the Water has twenty five percent Rotten Tomatoes. The Happening has seventeen. The Last Airbender has five. After Earth has twelve. <laughs> yeah,
0: so bad.
1: That's a five. that's a rough. String and uh, Rolling yeah. Stone did an article actually that was like, I can't remember what the title was now. I think it was The Rise and Fall of M. Night Shyamalan.
0: Hmm, yeah, so he definitely fell there. Uh, if pretty crazy, but um, you know, despite how bad those movies are, when you look at the box office, I, I'm shocked because those are actually like really like After Earth, The Last Airbender, like those did really well on their budget. I, I think all those films have earned like quite a bit of money. He's like the 31st or 30th top-grossing director. So, despite like the the you know bad reception of those films, like you can't deny that he was still making studios a bunch of money.
1: Yeah, I mean, to his chagrin, I think he became known as the guy who makes horror movies with a twist or thriller movies with a twist or whatever you want to call his movies. So, people came to see his movies and yeah, they all made pretty good money, even those bad ones. Like you said, like yeah, uh, Last Airbender made one hundred and thirty-one million dollars.
0: Oh, I had the box office at like three hundred and nineteen for Last Airbender. Is that not right?
1: That probably is right. I'm looking at a chart that just shows domestic.
0: Oh, oh, okay,
1: yeah. So yeah, that's uh, huge three hundred million.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that that's blockbuster. After Earth, two hundred fifty-one million. Um, so yeah, I think a combination of his name and like who was like, I think Will Smith and his son were in After Earth. So he was still like creating like these pretty successful films, but I feel like the industry kind of wrote him off. And and I think pretty unfairly, like you have a director here who's just like knocking it out of the park from a box office perspective. Uh, but maybe like the big success early on kind of killed him later. What what do you think?
1: I think all the critically... Yeah, that's surprising, because you would think the studios wouldn't really care about the critical right? opinion and would mostly care about the box office. Yeah. I know The Last Airbender and After Earth had higher budgets than most of his other movies, but I gotta believe they were still very profitable. I think so, yeah.
0: They earned at least like twice uh, their, their spend back, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I it just makes you think like if if this was Michael Bay, also a guy who does really shitty movies, uh but people tolerate him and he's like more um I don't know, he's he's got like a lot more like uh staying power for some reason. Uh why doesn't this guy get treated like similarly? It's kind of weird.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like he became a little bit of a punchline, not that he was a joke, but just almost that he was reduced to just that, like, oh, he's the guy who puts the twists in his movies, and I See Dead People was kind of like a a joke in pop culture, right? As much as people respected the sixth sense, so I think he almost became a parody of himself in people's minds, but in his opinion, he kind of thought he got too far like he shouldn't have gone into the world not that he shouldn't have but that he didn't feel he fit in the world of big budget movies of like blockbuster type stuff and that he needed to get back to his smaller stuff that was his own brand of movie the like movie he wanted to make just unusual slightly strange movies and that's when he did the visit and i think most people a certain amount of critics think that is kind of his return to form and his comeback. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The visit,
0: uh, followed by like split glass old, like you're definitely seeing M. Chamlin on, on a comeback from like the lows of the late two thousands, I guess. Early twenty tens.
1: Right, yeah. But even like Glass got thirty six percent critics score and yeah. old got fifty percent, but I know those movies have those have their fans, so Right. I don't know that critics are the best gauge of of M. Night Shyamalan I think he's got his followers too
0: yeah I think so too I mean uh, that that one uh, guest that we had uh, what was his name Um, David
1: David Day David Day yeah
0: Yeah, he's a huge fan of M. Night Shyamalan, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, I he, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, I, I want to say he's, like, always been my favorite director growing up. Uh, it's really cool to see, like, this Indian dude uh, putting out, like, amazing movies. Unbreakable, like, was one of my favorite movies, um, and I think with all his movies, as bad as, like, some of them might be, you still have, like, a great storyline and great cast and stuff, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, um, prejudiced there. And just, like, you know, I've, I've always kind of, like, liked this guy a lot. And I just don't think he gets the credit as, like, a top horror film director as as much as others do who have been, like, less successful.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and then The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs, like, almost right out the gate. He made movie a couple movies before The Sixth Sense. But that's a great three-movie run. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it extends into The
0: Village. But uh, maybe you, you and I can cover that next year at some point.
1: I would love to, yeah. I've never seen that one, and I've always been curious. So I think we should cover at least two M Night Shyamalan movies next year. That sounds good. <laughs> that gotta good get the <laughs> sixth sense in here soon.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I'm really curious too, because uh, yeah, it, it is very interesting cross between horror and thriller on that one. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, as as you mentioned, he had a lot writing on this film. Um, it, it sounded like he actually took out a five million dollar loan on his house. To fund it, I'm, I'm guessing. Like, I, I mean, it's hard for me to believe, but it sounds like uh, he was having trouble otherwise getting financing for it. Do, do you believe that?
1: Yeah, he, he's basically everybody, everybody passed on it. That where he shopped it around, so he financed it himself. Um, and yeah, it's surprising that he didn't have after his massive success with those other movies that he didn't have five million. Yeah. To just <laughs> unless he ended up thinking whatever reason, strategically, that his best move was to borrow the money against his home. Um, I don't know how those kind of loans work. It doesn't sound like a good thing, but <laughs> maybe he had some sort of strategy there. But at the same time, he's got like 200 some acres uh, of land. So I don't know, maybe nice. he, uh, he, hard to get into somebody's personal finances, but who knows, yeah. maybe he just really spent a lot of that money.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. There could have been a lot, like, a lot of tax reasons to do it that way. Take out sure. a E-lock, Uh E-lock. Right. Go, and and I, th- I think you're right. You hit on this earlier. I think the uh, issue with a lot of those other films right before this was he didn't have like that kind of creative control that he wanted. So maybe that was like a big part of... I, I don't know how much he shopped this around and how much it got turned down. I'm sure he also valued just having more ownership of the final
1: product. Agreed. But he also had a... Uh list on his wall for a while in his office that was a list of all the executives that said no to the visit
0: oh wow <laughs>
1: from different production or distribution companies
0: yeah oh damn I'm, I'm glad he's a guy that can uh, hold a grudge you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah right I like that. good good for him um <laughs> what, yeah this one's a, a financial success though because uh, on that budget of five million went on to make uh, close to hundred million. So it did, did quite well for itself. So I, I guess if I was one of those people, I might be kicking myself. Do you remember this, having like a widespread theatrical release? Like, I, I kind of miss this one being in theaters, but do, do you remember much about it?
1: No, I don't remember the theatrical release either. Sometimes I think back and wonder, what was I doing in 2015? But right. <laughs> I uh, I should have caught that. I, I don't know why I didn't go see it. Same. I And I think... Uh, some of these films,
0: after like After Earth and The Last Airbender, might have pulled back on like promoting his name very strongly in the trailers since like his, his credibility had gone down so much.
1: Um, so that, I, I that might have been why I didn't say. see it. I might have thought, oh, I'm Night Shyamalan, like post the happening, <laughs> I'm not interested anymore. Yeah,
0: <laughs> count me out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, did, did pretty well financially, and then from a critical perspective,
1: uh, I think what like 68%. 68% from critics, 51% from users. I'm surprised that 51 is as low as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I know.
0: Uh, um, but it
1: was nominated for some awards. It was nominated for a Razzie Redeemer Award at the Razzies that goes to a director <laughs> who's like, kind of like done something to turn themselves around or their career around. Oh, that's um, like,
0: I didn't realize that the Razzies had a Redeemer Award. That's yeah, really nice. right? It's kind of nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, nice. Nominated for Best Wide Release at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards for Best Horror Film at the Saturn Awards, so this movie was getting respect in in plenty of circles.
0: Yeah, and and it's like a surprising um, format for him doing found footage like this far into his career. I, I'm sure like that caught people by
1: surprise quite a bit. I think so too, but it also makes sense. He says he's more comfortable working with a low budget. I heard him say in an interview that he really enjoys like long takes, which goes well with found footage because there's not much editing in a found footage movie. Yeah, and it's just kind of like a small, like limited setting, limited amount of characters. It kind of makes sense with what he felt like his career needed to pivot towards after some of those bigger budget failures, sure. critical <laughs> failures, at least.
0: Yeah, in in twenty fifteen, I think like that that genre of found footage was still going fairly okay. Like, it, it hadn't like died quite as much as it has by now, right? Oh it yeah, that was. I feel like
1: that was in the middle of the found footage boom, right? Right, so yeah, good
0: timing on his part. It's interesting though what you said about um, him liking long cuts, because yeah, that's what I remember so much from like Unbreakable and his earlier films is these great like long scenes where it, like just goes back and forth between two characters. That doesn't strike me as like a found footage uh, approach, because here's a guy who's like so uh, great with the camera and his cinematography. I feel like found footage is the opposite of that. It's just like very bouncy stuff that like you can't really see what's going on.
1: Right, yeah, but like, I mean, w- when I say a long take, I mean time between cuts, uh, and so a film footage movie doesn't have very many cuts, essentially.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Um, the cast here, uh, yeah, the two main uh, actor and actress here, Olivia and Ed, surprisingly they both are from Australia. Um, Ed we would see later in Better Watch Out, which I think we both uh, enjoyed. Uh, yep. Olivia was in like the recent Elvis film have you seen that one yet
1: I haven't no but she was also in better watch out dude oh what really isn't that wild they were both in better watch out yeah damn I missed that that's 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 crazy
0: good for them uh yeah yeah, I I it's funny that they both are actually and like I never would have guessed
1: that uh they, they play Americans pretty well for sure yeah they had good American accents yeah and uh Katherine Hahn, who plays their mother, was in this year's Glass Onion, and I I loved her in Parks and Rec.
0: Oh, man. She's, like, yeah, she's done really
1: well in, like, uh, the last few years. Yeah, Um, yeah, she's been in the Bad Moms movies. She's funny. She is.
0: The last thing I had was that, uh, I think when he was putting this together, he had a, a few different, like, tones in mind, and he, like, edited it into, like, a few different versions. One was, like, more horror than what we see. One was, like, more comedy than what we see. And this one's like kind of like the middle ground. Uh, so I'd kind of be interested in knowing how, th- how those two ones play out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I don't think he was able to get Universal on board to distribute it until he wanted like the second or third cut of the oh. movie that he did. Uh, no kidding. Okay, interesting. And Blumhouse signed up to be a producer as well, but the film was already shot and pretty much edited, from what I understand, at that point. So I don't know what yeah. they're... Role was I don't know if Universal just thought well we distribute Universals or um, we distribute Blumhouse's horror movies so why don't we just make this a Blumhouse movie so that it fits right. well with our branding I don't know maybe that was a part of it that just I could see some sort of weird deal where Blumhouse was a producer and name only sure. but I don't know I don't know how that works
0: I don't either I was really surprised to see their name attached uh, yeah given it didn't seem like they added a lot of value here but yeah maybe you're right it was some kind of like political thing. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, Well, any other background you got that uh, we haven't discussed yet?
1: That's all I have except for the Ohio connection, which as always comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Have you ever heard of it? If not, go on down, check it out. Great drinks, great food. And Alex says, The Visit is a found footage horror film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. The film centers around two young siblings who reconnect with their estranged grandparents at their farmhouse while their mother goes on a cruise. At a certain point, the grandparents encourage the kids to play a game of Yahtzee. Originally the creation of the ES Low Company, Yahtzee was acquired in 1973 by the Milton Bradley Corporation. Hasbro now owns the rights to Milton Bradley along with many other familiar toy companies, including Parker Brothers, whose flagship game is Monopoly. The second railroad on a standard Monopoly board is B&O Railroad, representing the now defunct rail line connecting East Coast Baltimore to Ohio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't realize that about a uh, B&O <laughs> company.
1: <laughs> I remember learning that at some point and yeah. thinking it was neat. Uh, yeah. And yeah. when you live in Ohio, anytime Ohio gets mentioned publicly anywhere, you're like, ooh! Yeah. <laughs> Big win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did it. Um, That's awesome. Unless anybody think this connection is a bit of a stretch for Alex to make the connection via a board game played in the movie, made by the same manufacturer, or like a board game made by the same manufacturer as a board game they play in the movie, Becca actually makes a point of correcting Pop-Pop during the game about who actually owns the rights to Yahtzee. Yeah. So it's more more relevant of a connection than it seems. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a great one. Good, good one, Alex. That's a fun one, too. Um, I had a question for you later in this podcast. Have you ever played Yahtzee? Yes, I have. Is it fun? I've, I've, always, I've always wanted to yell it, but I don't know how to play it. <laughs> you can still yell it. I can, right? Uh, I suggest know. you
1: love yell it during your lovemaking next time.
0: Oh,
1: nice! <laughs> all right, I could do that, and that, that counts as overall. playing Yahtzee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I haven't cool. played it in a long time, though.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, do you need like a? You need a board or? or
1: you need like a dice or something I think it's just some dice uh, what my family got into in Studiazzy is a game called Farkle ah okay Never that one that doesn't one. work quite as well if you yell it during your love making though oh <laughs>
0: Farkle <laughs> oh boy hey uh, what's the other game that they play you, you live in Minnesota and like the only people I know who play this are from Minnesota um um that's one I can tell you <laughs> is it a card
1: game or a board game, or? I, I think it's a card game, and the, uh, there's a game they play here called Five Hundred, or uh, euchre. Uh, euchre, that's it. Yep. Oh man, yeah. euchre is like an Ohio thing. Oh, it's, really? It's a Midwestern game, essentially. Okay. Do you get to yell euchre? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> nice. Cool.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's one I was kind of
1: interested into. Oh man, we. I'll teach you to play it sometime. Although all you can't right. really play it very well with two people.
0: Oh, yeah, you need like four at least? Yeah. Okay, all right. All right, yeah, we got uh, uh, some games ahead of us then. Um, well, are you ready to dive into the plot, uh, go through the spoilers, and hit our review? Yeah, I'd see. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Uh, hey, but before we do that, do you mind? Uh, I just got to run outside really quick. Uh, just uh, got to do something. Can I call you right back?
1: Yeah, sure, man. Talk to you all soon. Right. Cool. i Thanks.
0: Hey, Brian. Sorry about that. I'm back. Hey, how'd everything go? Uh, it was good. I'm sorry. I just had to run out to the shed in in the back really quick, but uh, I'm feeling much better now. Um, hey, by the <laughs> way, uh, I you know, following up on our conversation from the purge, can you remind me to get your home address after this? I I, I got a package I want to send your way. <laughs> just something I made a note of. <laughs>
1: farkle. Yeah. Oh, Farkle.
0: Uh, all right. So the plot of this film, uh, the movie opens, introducing us to our main characters. We have Loretta, who is the single mother of two children. The two children are Becca and her younger brother, Tyler. These are gonna be our main characters for for the rest of the movie. The setup here is that Loretta hasn't spoken to her parents in over 15 years after having some argument about who she was dating at the time. But recently, her parents have reached out and have expressed interest in meeting and spending time with their grandkids. The kids wanna meet their grandparents, so Loretta agrees that they can go visit them and spend a week with them. Becca, who's the eldest daughter, seems to be an aspiring filmmaker and is creating a documentary of this visit, so that sets the groundwork for why this is a found footage film. We get some kind of heartwarming interviews and scenes in the beginning, as she's interviewing her mother about why she left her grandparents and uh, get some exposure to the characters as they're boarding the train. Uh, the younger brother loves to uh, do a lot of freestyling, so we get some of that. Um, what'd you think, uh, first off, of the plausibility of this scenario?
1: I think that's the movie's biggest weakness and can set people off on the wrong foot. Like, some of our listeners, I know a couple of you, that really get hung up on the practicalities of a movie, and if the practicalities don't add up, they're kind of checked out from the get go. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she would deliver these kids to parents that she hasn't met in fifteen years without actually like doing the transition in person or <laughs> doing any sort of like homework to make sure everything goes off according to plan is pretty. It's a pretty big stretch.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not a parent, uh, so it's it's hard for me to uh, understand why she would do this. Um, but yeah, I would think most parents, like, yeah, this this sounds like a terrible uh, practice to, like, yes, yeah, put your kids on a train, say bye to them to go meet relatives that you haven't seen in 15, 16 years. Do you think, um, given, like, I, I know Loretta, like, isn't, like, a huge character in this, uh, and we get, like, limited scenes with her, does it align with, like, the rest of her personality, though? Like, is there... A sense to that maybe it's plausible
1: because of the type of mother she is. They, I mean, you could perhaps read into her character as not having the best judgment due to her I past. I mean, she's,
0: she's, she's going on a cruise. Doesn't that tell us everything about her judgment? Cruise, <laughs> cruise people.
1: <laughs> Dude, I've been tempted to go on one lately. It, it what, sounds kind of nice at this ripe old age. What about like being on a boat, like stranded on a boat for days?
0: Sounds appealing to anyone. I I, I don't get it.
1: Um, yeah, th- that's a little disturbing. I guess, you know, I have gone on a cruise, but it was like a very small little 10 person thing, uh, through the Galapagos Islands. Not, not oh. necessarily the typical cruise.
0: Sure. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You, you kind of saw it in a different part of the world. That's neat. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was amazing
0: yeah okay so yeah i I guess you can't judge all people who go on cruises but i i don't know like uh, i i agree with you like it's it's uh it's not very believable but then i feel like as we get to know her character like part of me just thinks like okay yeah maybe this is just the type of mother she is
1: yeah yeah it could be it's it's a stretch either way but you kind of just have to overlook it (laughs) yeah
0: otherwise this whole film falls apart
1: yeah um the other thing, uh, likability of the
0: characters—I I think that's something that hits me really quick in this film. What did you, what did you think? I
1: actually I feel like I shouldn't like these kids because I'm a little bit over the precocious, charming kid trope, like character archetype. But God help me if this kid wasn't charming, this little rapper, and uh, their their relationship was charming. I was on board. I liked both of these characters. How about you?
0: Uh, yeah, I like them a lot, man. And uh, I'm with you on the precocious kid. I didn't think these kids were precocious. Like, I think about um Mike Flanagan and the kids that he uses in his films and TV shows. And there was, like, very, like, adorable and, like, innocent. Uh, These guys, like, are anything but. Like, I feel like they're portrayed as, like, pretty strong characters and individuals who, like, have their own quirks about them. Like, she's this really serious filmmaker who, like, speaks, like, in big words and long sentences and uh he's like this yeah freestyler so i thought they had like a good amount of like character depth and and differences to them that made them pretty unique individuals
1: yeah i agree i agree they were well fleshed out characters
0: yeah yeah i thought so too than like your typical kid on a on a horror film yeah uh yeah so so becca and tyler they get picked up at the train station by their grandparents who they are meeting for the first time And uh, things are pretty normal at at first, uh, there's some usual kind of banter between grandparents and grandkids, but then things kind of start to become weird. The grandfather warns the kids not to come out of their rooms every night after 9.30 because they go to bed early or whatever, but uh, on the first night, I think, Becca wanders outside of her room and she sees her grandmother projectile vomiting all over the place. Uh, Later Tyler finds the shed. In the backyard that's just filled with diapers covered in shit that apparently their grandfather has been storing. Um, One day while they're playing under the house their grandmother creepily chases them uh, and she's also not wearing any underwear. Another time the grandmother uh, is wandering around at night clawing at doors and doing sprints in the hallways Uh, and the grandfather says that this is just something called sundowning which is when people have dementia that can strike uh, in the late afternoons or evenings for certain people, so all, all this time, Becca's trying to chalk all of this up to them just being, you know, elderly individuals. But Tyler is pretty suspicious by uh, about all this and, and what's going on, and he's kind of concerned. Uh, wh- what did you think of all of these sequences, uh, the scariness,
1: uh, how they were made? Were do you think they worked? I think they did work. And Deanna Dunnigan is surprisingly spry. I don't know what her age was at the time they filmed this movie, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she can really crawl very fast.
0: She can. That's that should be like an Olympic. Uh, she she should be in Olympics for crawling around <laughs> under crawl spaces or whatever that was.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean some of these scenes are pretty effective and unnerving, and um, you know we're just checking all the boxes to establish that something is off with Nana and Pop Pop, and we don't know what. And I think it it does that successfully here and pretty creepily. It's not a terrifying movie, but it's eerie and off-putting. What did you think? I agree. It's
0: unsettling, right? I also feel like at this point, as the viewer, and I, I know we've seen this before, um, so we kind of know what what's coming, but um, I think as the first time watching this, um, I think, yeah, you're kind of creeped out, kind of disturbed by what you're seeing, but you're still kind of finding some plausibility in the fact that, yeah, these are older people and, and uh,
1: nothing is like too extreme so far, is it? I think that... Your grandma kind of, like, sprinting <laughs> at you. And they just, they're, like, body language and the way they say things is creepy. And her just, like, appearing under the deck and sprinting at them, like, on her hands. Yeah. And it, it's pretty, pretty off-putting. It's unnerving. I, I wouldn't think, oh, she's just old. I would think, what the fuck? <laughs> well, I, I don't know.
0: Like, you, you got to think these are grandparents who haven't seen their grandkids. So maybe they don't know, like, the norms on how you, like... uh Interact with kids at, at that age, or something, and so it's just it's just like she's trying to play along or, or play tag with them or, or humor them, or something. I mean, yeah, physically it's, it's surprising, but um, mentally and emotionally, I, I, I don't know, I, I could kind of see like this is them trying to
1: uh, appease a the people that they're like meeting for the first time. How about the piles of poopy diapers in the shed? What's your <laughs> justification there?
0: We all have that, man. Like, that's very believable. <laughs> yeah. that was- That was the least surprising thing to
1: see. Uh, You've got that on your, uh, I assume the property in Chicago is pretty small, little stake of land. I've never seen your house, but you got a little shed on there? yeah it's it's yeah the space is much more limited so it's more like vertical than anything else it's (laughs) like a tower of (laughs) you got like a little pulley system
0: exactly i i don't know like i I thought it was very rational and like even the grandparents are explaining it like oh that your your grandfather he gets embarrassed that he poops himself so he's hiding it like okay yeah that i guess that's what i would do if i I was pooping myself um yeah and and in the sundowning thing whatever that is like it all just seems like very explainable so far
1: Boy, I don't know that hiding it by p- putting it in loose piles in the shed is more <laughs> effective than putting it in a black trash bag and tying it up and putting it in the trash.
0: Yeah, that does seem more logical. You got to remember, the, these guys aren't like in Chicago, they're like in a very remote area, so who knows how quick the trash comes by. Do you really want like a bunch of human excrement? I guess it's sitting somewhere anyway, uh, yeah, that argument doesn't work against it. One day. We'll have to exchange stories about the various ways you and I have tried to hide our shit from other people. And I think we'll uncover that this isn't maybe the most unrealistic thing, perhaps.
1: I think that the same way these kids felt as they started to learn more about their grandparents <laughs> is the way I feel now as I'm starting to learn Actually, more this. about you. <laughs>
0: All, right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird to watch it like this round. Watching it, I'm less like shocked about the grandparents. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just as you get older, you get wiser. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I like. I think kind of unsettling and creepy. Um, but I also don't want to judge uh, because um, we're getting to that phase. Um, so one other dynamic that's going on in the background here is this topic of the children's father. We learn that he abandoned them pretty abruptly a few years ago and that this is still, like, living in the kids as, like, some kind of trauma. Um, Becca, for example, no longer looks in mirrors, and Tyler has this germ-phobia, and he kind of holds some guilt because, I guess, the night their father left, uh, he had been, like, in a football game and he had froze up during a a critical play, and so he kind of, like, holds some guilt about, um, maybe that leading to his father leaving. Uh, what'd you think about, like, this added layer? Um, do you think it was, like, forced in? or do you feel like it it was like it felt natural?
1: You know, it wasn't necessarily, I think Becca not looking at herself in the mirror felt a little bit forced. Like it was almost just a way to give her a thing. And I'm Mm -hmm. not sure that it ever really came around full circle or, or justified its existence other than that's her flaw. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, to me it almost mimics too much his like oh you started doing this weird thing after dad left Yeah, Um, I think his germophobia is is cool and like a fun way to develop his character too because he's so cocky and confident about himself Mm -hmm. and then to have him be so afraid of these germs kind of just it humanizes him and it also reminds you that he's just a little kid right yeah not like that, that a, grown-ups can't be germophobes too but it just makes them a little bit more vulnerable
0: I agree yeah it kind of uh adds adds another uh layer of interesting uh personality built out on, on both of them um I think the the mirror thing does come back later uh so I, we'll talk about that um, okay all right you
1: know what I yeah I'm I was thinking as I was saying it maybe I uh maybe I missed something um yeah we'll get there y- yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Um, the
0: uh, the reason I, I thought it was forced is because, like, you get all this expose in, like, a span of, like, five, six minutes where they go back-to-back back just interviewing each other. And, like, it's like you've had this film, you have these grandparents acting more and more croupily, and they're getting nervous. And then suddenly, like, the film almost, like, the plot kind of stops for a second to, like, uh, have this dialogue about these things.
1: Uh, it felt a little bit jarring to me.
0: It that's did. Amazing.
1: I mean, in a way it makes sense with the plot because they're almost doing like a tit for tat in their interviews, like, all right, if you asked me really personal things that were really revealing about me, I'm going to do the same to you. Oh, so yeah. that's the justification for it, but it does end up feeling a little bit forced just to have them both dropped back to back. Right, right, yep. Um, so things get
0: kind of crazy one night after Tyler and Becca decide to set up a camera in the room to record the grandparents that night. Um, we see the grandmother come down, do some weird things like open and slam a few doors randomly, and then she pops up in front of the camera screaming before taking the camera with her and grabbing a knife from the kitchen and going up to the kids' room, uh, and sitting outside their door with a knife in her hand, uh, looking ready to do some damage. So, we cut to the next morning and the kids are watching this video, and they decide they should probably head home at this point. Um, and, uh, they video with their mother, who for the first time now can see the grandparents standing outside the house and she lets the kids know that these two people aren't really uh they they aren't the grandparents and they're just two strangers um and that the kids need to kind of get the hell out of there immediately um the kids attempt to leave but after seeing this dead woman hanging from a tree outside they get cornered into playing a game of yahtzee what did you think of this twist uh and do you remember like kind of seeing it for the first time and Was it a big surprise, or yeah? What was your take? I
1: feel like it's a a twist that is, it's not so out there. You you never saw it coming. It's not a sixth sense level twist. Uh, You know something's up. I feel like it's maybe on, could be on the average viewer's list of mental, like mental list of possibilities as they're Mm. watching the movie. So it didn't blow me away, but at the same time, it it does its job. It's a. moment yeah. so whether you think it might be a possibility or not how do, sure. how do you feel about it
0: uh i, I it, it shocks it shocked me man the first time uh, because there are times throughout where like becca would ask uh either the grandparents about her mom and like their relationship and you'd see them like have a visible reaction so it kind of like i remember watching it for the first time i i like wouldn't have guessed it at all so uh anyone who had that on the radar like it's pretty Impressive. Um, I thought they were going to be werewolves. I thought that was way more beautiful <laughs> than, than them not being their grandparents. But but you're right. It's like kind of, kind of uh, it's a lot more realistic, but not like some six It's like not like something supernatural.
1: I guess. Sure. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What Dude, made you yeah. think they would be werewolves?
0: Uh, the fact that like this whole sundowning thing, where like every night they were like acting like really crazy weird people, and uh, the the, the shit, like w- why are you storing your shit in a, in, in a shed, and um, what um oh, the crawling, like yeah, to have that kind of flexibility and, and dexterity to, to, to run, to, to crawl like that, and not wearing underwear, the, all signs of a werewolf in my book.
1: Oh my god, I can't <laughs> tell if you're being serious. What, what movie have you seen where doing weird things at night when it's not a full moon, crawling really fast without underwear on, and... <laughs> putting your poop in a shed means you're a werewolf. Dude, every movie we've seen about werewolves,
0: they, there's something weird about them like they uh maybe they're hairy or like they they uh like yeah, they, you know, it's time of day affects them. Uh like you think vampire, but vampire like, you know, you, you got to be pretty cool and like you can't hang out in the daylight. So, okay, it's not a vampire, but you know something's happening at night that's changing their behavior. So, next possibility is werewolf and she just happens to be great on 4 on on, on, her, on on all fours. And uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was very sensible that uh, all, all those clues combined together
1: uh, equals werewolf. I think as your penance, we have to review a few more werewolf mo- werewolf <laughs> movies next year. <laughs> we need good. to teach you what a werewolf <laughs> is.
0: You, you wouldn't see those clues and like knowing it's a Shyamalan movie, there's some twist coming, something sinister is happening. You, you wouldn't say, okay, cool. These are the grandparents, but at some point in the last 15 years, they've turned into werewolves. <laughs> that, 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 that didn't cross your mind once. Like, I feel like any critical thinker would. That, that's like what you would put together here.
1: If you are a single listener who thought the same thing while watching the visit, please get in touch. <laughs> yeah, validate this. I, I think it, it,
0: it all, it all adds up and paints a pretty clear picture here. So I was surprised. Uh, but cut
1: to Brian <laughs> sitting in front of his inbox for the next seven days, seeing <laughs> yeah. nothing come in. <laughs> <laughs> just silence. <laughs>
0: uh, alright, where were we? Okay, yeah, so they're not werewolves, it turns out they're just, uh, not their grandparents. Um, so now they're stuck playing this game of Yahtzee, the kids are freaked out, the cameras are still rolling. Um, during the game though, Becca wanders into the basement, um, I think she wants to know, like, where her real grandparents are, and she finds them in the basement, she finds their bodies, uh, so they've been killed, and her fa- fake grandfather, corners her down there and explains that um, it's revealed that him and the fake grandmother were patients at this local psychiatric hospital and they wanted to kind of have this experience of knowing what it was like to have grandkids for like a week uh, and just have like a perfect week and he was like organizing all this to give her that experience. Uh, He then throws Becca into a locked room with the fake grandmother who attacks her um, and is getting at her, and this is where I think uh, Becca finally looks into a mirror and breaks it, and uses it to stab and kill the fake grandmother. So I think this is where they're circling back to that whole she never looks in a mirror thing, right?
1: Mm, gotcha. Yep.
0: Yeah, and then and then similarly, Tyler, uh, he's frozen in place again as the fake grandfather is like smearing the diapers on his face, and we know he's a germaphobe, so this is probably even worse. Um, Becca shows up and the grandfather starts hitting her, but Tyler finally breaks from his trance and knocks the grandfather down and slams his head in the fridge door while like yelling things that like someone would yell at a football game. So it's clear that like both of them are working through their trauma that they had mentioned uh, on the nose, like uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes earlier. Um, and then the police and the mother arrive. What, what did you think of these two killings and uh, how they, tied, they tried to tie it back to the character's traumas?
1: Well, it may be like a little obvious that, like, well, clearly not to me because I missed the mirror thing. Uh, But it might be like a little obvious that, like, hey, these are their flaws that they confessed, and now they're confronting each of them as they thwart these people. I could not help but like really love it. <laughs> After the yeah. kid tackles pop up, he just screams, eyes <laughs> on the runner, watch his hips, watch his <laughs> hips. And it's just like <laughs> yeah. really cool. It kind of gave me chills. It was kind of a nice moment for him. Me too. Yeah, that was it, awesome. It also made me think of uh, signs. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a line in there that's uh, swing away, Merle. Oh, yeah. It was a very similar moment sports comes back to save the, save the day. Yeah, I almost wonder if we can find that kind of thread in some of his other movies.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good connection. Really interesting. Um, I, I thought the scene where she's trapped with the fake grandmother and uh, the grandmother's, like, under a sheet and, like, kind of biting her and we're all we're seeing is, like, through the light of the camera
1: was kind of uh, scary, too. Did, did, did that get, get you at all? That was a creepy scene, yeah. I, it yeah. did get me. Uh, I would call that the most terrifying scene in the movie, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Also, we we miss that this kid's a germaphobe, and in the climax here, Pop Pop shoves a poopy diaper right in his face. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I know.
0: Kind of what I'm gonna do too once everyone. Uh, backs me up on that werewolf claim. <laughs> I feel like that
1: should be the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, if, a, if one single person tells me honestly, and I don't think they're just doing it to see your poop in my face, that they thought yeah. it was werewolves, I, I'll let you put a poopy diaper in my face. Awesome, thanks. Why are if we not... even here? Why are we talking about you putting your poop in my... I'm disturbed. Because it's going to happen either
0: way, it's just whether you let it or not, I guess. And maybe this is one way you could consent to it, I guess. This is um, normally
1: a poop-free podcast, but this is two episodes in a row that you've talked about pooping in my face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe it's just the season. I mean, it's just uh, ah, I don't know.
0: It's, it's on top of mind these days. Um, well, so yeah, everyone escapes. It, <laughs> this is the one time in the film where we hear like some swooning music kick in, which I, I think it's effective because, like, yeah, the whole movie's been like silent from a music perspective, as most found footage is. But here the music comes in, and uh, it's kind of a cool visual as it's playing with like the police lights and the mother hugging her kids. Um, I I felt some things there. Did you feel anything?
1: Yeah, I felt things. It was good for them to all be reunited, but it was also the music that uh, Becca said she would use to score her documentary as... She thought it would be kind of ironic against the quiet drama of their time at the farmhouse, oh, um, and good she's catch. like, she says some like, uh, you know, film theory buzz phrase like, that's ironic scoring or something like that. And then of course, it's ironic scoring here because it's playing during some like brutal climactic stuff. So right, that that's one thing throughout the whole film. I
0: really enjoyed like the meta ness of it with with her. Trying to make a film and kind of like speaking to like how she would like shoot this film and how it would like kind of parallel like what you're seeing in the film. Um, did, did, I really appreciated that aspect? Did, did you enjoy that?
1: Yeah, it was fun, and it was fun to just see. It was a, a humanizing element too, because she, you'd see her be like, "Okay, just fold laundry." But no, don't look at the camera when you fold laundry, and then <laughs> you know they'd ha- kind of have this screw up, and it was the juxtaposition of her trying to be more grown up and take this seriously and film this documentary and clashing with like, oh, it's just me and my little brother fucking around at the same time. And he's kind of hopeless. So it was charming. It was. I agree. I agree.
0: Pretty, pretty clever. So the the whole movie ends, the kids get back home safe and Loretta kind of explains to Becca why she or what happened on the day she left her parents, which is that uh, I think she Hit one of them and then took off, and she's always uh, kind of been too scared to go back. Even though they've like reached out to her and tried to like bring her back, um, and so like one of the one of the things Becca was trying to do this whole film was get an apology or get like some kind of forgiveness from the grandparents. And the mom is kind of saying that the forgiveness was always there; I just never took it. And you should also never hold on to hate. Uh, and then we see Becca include footage of her dad, which is something that we knew. Uh, she was kind of contemplating the whole film because she had a lot of anger towards him. And, and this is kind of a sign that she processed some of that. And then the movie ends with her combing her hair, looking into the mirror while we get another freestyle from her brother, which uh, is a lot of fun. So yeah. What, would what, you think uh, of the film? What, what, what did you enjoy? What, what you think could have been done better? Um,
1: yeah, I think she tells her don't hold on to anger, not don't hold oh, on to hate. Got it. And I think throughout the documentary process, Becca is saying she needs to find the elixir for her mom, Like, which is kind of a narrative element that can be like when a character finds the treasure or finds true love or finds the cure for something. And I think maybe this don't hold on to anger ended up kind of being the elixir for Becca. And instead of mom getting the elixir, she kind of got it with that that life lesson there fascinating that's really cool yeah she she
0: was looking for something that she actually needed and she got it from her mom right exactly
1: yeah yeah uh i really like this movie man i don't have a whole lot of bad things to say about it i think it gets slightly monotonous every once in a while when they're showing all the ways that the mom and dad or that pop up and nana are screwed up um But at the same time, most of that stuff is pretty unnerving and creepy. Some of the things that creep me out the most that I'm not sure if you mentioned was Nana just cracking up, cackling to herself in a rocking chair. That was great. When Becca goes to ask her about it, she says, I have the deep darkies. You have to laugh if you want to keep the deep darkies in a cave. Yeah, that was awesome. then shortly after that she goes to find Pop Pop because she's concerned about Nana and she walks in the barn and he's got a shotgun in his mouth (laughs) uh, and then just pretends like he's cleaning it. It's just really disturbing. (laughs) It really is. Yeah, man.
0: Uh, And I I feel like that stuff, uh, it's like subtle things, uh, well I guess not that subtle, but just like kind of uh, understated creepiness. But the performances by these actors on on those scenes is just like so believable and, and so great that. It really sells those moments.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think especially um, Deanna Duggan put on a great... Deanna Dunigan, excuse me, put on a great performance as Nana. Um, there's also, I don't know if you caught this, but she tells a creepy story to the kids about aliens at the bottom of a pond who can put people to sleep. They don't die, they're just asleep, and then the aliens take them back to their home planet. And later, Pop-Pop says part of the reason they wanted to have this week with the kids is because uh, Nana, whatever her real name is, put her kids in suitcases and put them at the bottom of the pond. So I think in Nana's mind, she's gonna kill these kids too and they're all gonna end up on this planet together in the end. Yeah, and you have that scene like where she's looking at the
0: well and they're wondering why, and that kind of like ties that out. Right, um, exactly. You know, I, I was wondering. Like, uh, I, I feel like we get more of like Nana's backstory with with like those two
1: stories. Um, do you feel like we
0: get that for the Pop Pop character?
1: We don't get too much backstory on him other than he says he was working at a factory, and oh, he used to eyes. see a white thing running around the factory at night with yellow eyes, and they eventually fired him. Yeah, oh, I forgot
0: about that story. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's
1: essentially in love. Him and Claire, the that's who Nana is. Were a couple at the the hospital where the real Nana and Pop Pop would volunteer. Sure. Yep. And then they they murdered them and
0: took their place. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the little stories throughout and uh those like little sequences of like uh, just kind of haunting, disturbing visuals that you see them do, which uh yeah, I think give this story like a lot of weight and realness.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that it's a strength and a limitation. Like The film doesn't have too much to offer other than old people doing creepy things. Um, but at the same time, the those sequences are still pretty effective. Um, and then, yeah, I, I had in my review something similar to what you already mentioned. The emotional parts of the film can feel a tiny bit forced, but no huge complaints there, just no minor beef. Yeah, I'd rather get them and feel a tiny bit forced than to not get them at all.
0: Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Which I feel like a lot of found footage is—you you don't get a lot of those moments. So, cool to see yeah. them index the other way. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I thought the great performances. I think the characters are all like very likable and believable. scares worked well. Hey, want to ask you about the cinematography here? Did at times you feel like cinematography was too good for like what you would expect in a found footage film?
1: Hmm. Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. I mean, I don't, I think she had nice cameras and she was a student of film. So (laughs) maybe that's our excuse. And she was holding the camera. The camera was steady quite a lot of the time, too. So um, it is pretty good quality for found footage, but I don't know. I'm not complaining. I'm not itching to see poor visuals. Um, So I don't think it was so much so that it was distracting. I mean, didn't we recently something that... I feel like I recently have watched movies that were like found footage, but people had like a wide-angle lens on the camera. Maybe that was in Poughkeepsie tapes. Oh, yeah. One (laughs) of the Hellraiser movies has found footage that has like editing within the found footage tapes. It's Sure. Yeah. There there can be some inconsistencies in that subgenre, but I would rather air on the side of quality picture than, than not have a quality picture. Um, I
0: agree. I agree. I just think with, with found footage, you expect like a deteriorated form or like a sub, uh, par footage. And, uh, I think this being M. Night Shyamalan, he also had as a cinematographer, someone pretty famous working here. Um, oh shit, what's her name? Maurice? Uh, yeah. Maurice Alberti, who's done like a lot of like great film work. And I feel like you have like really strong camera work. Um, even just for like a, a regular movie, but to see it like in a found footage film is like holy shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I, I think that probably could bother some people, but it didn't bother me. I wondered sure. if we would end up having the faux documentary versus found footage conversation here, but
0: Oh, interesting. I think, think this- you
1: you would not have any inkling that this is anything but a found footage movie, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, the premise the the way it's shot for sure. I guess uh what becomes unbelievable sometimes uh is yeah, how steady the camera is. Like even like the crawl space scene, like I think we bank on the fact that you had two people with the camera. Like the kid's got one camera and she's got a camera. But if you're really being chased and really scared in a un, is that called the crawl space that you're in
1: under under the house or is that something else? Um yeah, sure. I th- I think you could call it a crawl space. I don't think that's truly what it's called, but I, I know what you mean. Was it it was like under a deck or something, right? Or under the yeah. porch. Yeah. I think you can yeah. still call it a crawl space.
0: Okay. Uh but yeah, I mean the, 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 it's almost like you see like a, a good amount. Like he jumps out of there and then you see like Becca jumping out because he's got his camera on the ground. So just a lot of times like the way the camera was placed uh just seemed like way too convenient um, yeah. given like what was happening.
1: That's fair. I, I'd still rather see grandma's badass crawling skills than to not see it <laughs> just because that's more realistic to not see it, you know? I agree. Yeah, I agree. So it I'm willing felt to like look a... the other way on that one.
0: Yeah, it kind of felt like the best of both worlds in, in some ways there. Um, Agreed. It, yep. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, oh. Do you think this film, and I think this goes back to our conversation about M.I. Shamlan being a true horror director or not, um, do you think this film could have been Like, would you have wanted to see it, like, as a more darker, gorier film? Uh, Bless you. (laughs) Would you you have wanted to see this film, uh, yeah, be darker, gorier, uh, or more violence? Like, I I feel like this kind of felt a little restrained to get, like, the PG-13 rating or whatever, but would you have, like, wanted to see more
1: here? I don't think so. I think there's not really much reason to show much more violence or gore. They show blood. They show her stabbing Nana. They show a woman hanging from a tree. They show a hammer that has blood and hair on it. So it's not like there's nothing, or that they're going out of their way to keep it PG thirteen. But I think it's I think it does what it needs to do. I don't need to see any more gore in this movie. How about you? I mean, as
0: you see it, yeah, that that seems fair. Especially like if it was gorier, then you wouldn't probably have someone uh recording it. Like uh part of me did want to see the kids get tortured a bit more. Um but yeah then they probably would have stopped recording at that point. So yeah, I think you're I think
1: you see what you need to see and it's done pretty tastefully. Uh
0: um,
1: resident Gorehound Ashwin, everybody, he's just wanting to see <laughs> yeah. the, just, the heavy <laughs> shit lately.
0: You know, I, I think you could you could sprinkle it in like tastefully. Like not I'm not talking like terrifying Two levels. But uh you know, there's, there's, you have two kids here that we really like and are bonded with. Uh, scare us a bit more by uh, hurting them more, maybe.
1: I, I don't know. Man, I think you, it was scary enough to have them open the door and see that woman hanging in the yard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was pretty haunting. Uh,
0: I think that's all the questions I had. Any, any other comments or thoughts on the movie that you think we need to address?
1: I don't think so, man. It's a fairly straightforward movie. There's There's not too much to discuss in it, it, it's simple in a way. It's just like a very simple found footage movie, but at the same time, it's more charming than your average found footage movie and less scary than your average found footage movie, but I think it's still su- successfully freaky.
0: Yeah, it's it's like a different type of scariness, uh, more like unsettling and, and creepy, I think, than uh, I feel like most found footages, you have like more pop-outs maybe or...
1: More like kind of monsters or something crazy. Yeah, right. You know, I'd have to rewatch The Sixth Sense. It's been decades since I've seen it, but I feel, and Signs for that matter, I feel like people think of those as thrillers because they're not necessarily super scary, but I don't think they operate like thrillers. I think they operate like horror movies. They just aren't as intense as some other horror movies.
0: Right, right. I feel like you're like the guy who loves uh, horror movies that aren't scary.
1: Right, uh, <laughs> I enjoy a wide variety of horror movies, and so do you, man. When we first started, you wanted everything to be scary, but you, yeah. you've softened on that. You wanted everything to be scary and not super gory, Yeah, and now you've opened your little mind, opened your I, little heart, <laughs> and you, you still do this thing where you think every movie is going to have a werewolf in it, but we're getting through that. We're working our way, step by step. So, yeah, you've changed. I I haven't changed in that. I'm 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 willing to just enjoy a horror movie as a good movie, even if it doesn't end up being scary. Sure, and you know that that's
0: why I think M Night Shyamalan, like where, where he shines, is like um, a lot of his movies. I, I think they're just great, like character movies, and the horror element is just like kind of embedded in the background. But I, I never feel like it's the main story. I feel like the main story is more about like what the characters are struggling through. Like in this case, like they were dealing with this guilt about, like, the father leaving or, or there are these, like, unresolved feelings around that, um, and yeah, he, he just seems like a great director to, like, the, the way he uses horror as, like, the backdrop for some of these larger themes has done really well.
1: Yeah, he's a good storyteller and he cares about his characters.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is, yeah, great, great to see happen. All right, well, let's j- jump to our rating then. Uh, how many grandmas going commando would you give this one?
1: I <laughs> uh, give it four out of five grandmas going commando. How about you? Same, same, yeah. Four out of five. Uh,
0: yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of like, yeah, uh, appropriately puts it in place. Um, it came up in the top five found footage, and I think um, two of us put it in there. I don't think you had it on your top five, right?
1: I can't remember if I included it in my top five or put it as an honorable mention, but... Uh, okay. Yeah, I enjoy it, but- and I... Th- I think that you and I discussed this in 2016 before the podcast and uh, we each yeah. gave it a four then too.
0: Oh, no kidding. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, So our, our feelings remain the same.
0: That's great. Good, good news. All right. Well, anything else? That's all I got. Okay. Well, that's going to be our, uh, that's going to wrap up our discussion on, oh, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, that's that's going to be it on our discussion on the visit. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find this show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find their social link on HorrorMovieClub.com, or you can shoot us an email at Podcast at HorrorMovieClub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter, in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, where we're chatting up with the other horror fans and listeners. You can find the link to that on our website. Our logo is done by Amy May Pop Art. You can find some merchandise for our show and other cool stuff on there. uh, You can find her on Etsy.com. And until next time, um, if you notice your older relatives doing some strange things, maybe don't jump to the assumption that they're werewolves and maybe first rule out that they actually are your relatives. But then you can, once you validate that, then go go werewolf, I think. <laughs> always keep werewolf as your number two. <laughs> it should always be a plan B, yeah. <laughs> Never rule that out. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, missed missed opportunity here to make a great werewolf movie.
1: <laughs> uh, I just watched Werewolf by Night today. Oh, man. Have you, you seen it? that one yet? No, no. Is it good? Yeah, it's fine. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, most werewolf movies are.